And uh, I follow him up there the next day and didn't call nothing. I just wanted to kind of see what he'd do. And I kind of wanted to sound like maybe there was four or five cows following him. So I'd mew now and then, you know, how like cows will talk to each other. I'd do that. And he'd let out, if I could read a bugle, he'd let out something that said, don't follow me up here. Like I'm sick of you women, (laughs) leave me alone. And I'd like, I'd, I got a video. I grabbed a little, the tiniest rock and just like tossed it down the avalanche chute and just let it like sound like steps or something. He'd bugle at that. Like he did not want me. I'd be within 50, 60 yards of him. I couldn't see him. And I'd just throw these things down the edge of the tree line and just let it bounce down the chute. And he'd just let out these bugles like, don't come up here. Really? Yeah. Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. Check it out. Link in the show notes. All right. Podcast, podcast, take 32. <laughs> uh, welcome to Wapiti Wednesday. We got Ty Leary on, and we're going to talk about some high country elk. You know anything about high country elk, Ty? I like hunting elk in high country. I know that. It's a lot more fun. We're going to have an argument on whether it's productive or not. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Ty's been on the podcast. We did uh, one with James. We talked about horse packing. Been on with Martin Nichols. Um, Ty's an all-around killer. Good buddy of mine. We shoot bows together sometimes. Sometimes. When you show up. Yeah. Well, you too. Well, no, you're pretty good about it. <laughs> I didn't show up for the first two weeks of league. And Neither then... did I. And I skipped <laughs> <Okay>. last week. <laughs> oh, yeah. You didn't miss much. There was like 12 people last Oh, really? Week, so, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's all right. Anyway, we're going to talk on the podcast. And even though you're a rifle hunter now. Whoa. No. <laughs> no. Uh, no. I'm the world's... I'm going to... I am probably the world's worst shot inside 200 yards, but I have had a blast hunting with my gun this last like year and a half. So how long have you been bow hunting? How long have you been rifle hunting? <laughs> um, honest, like no BS. My dad put a bow in my hand like real early and like I won leagues and stuff growing up, like from five to 12. Nice. And then like most, I'd say most boys from small towns, you get into trucks and dirt yeah. bikes, four wheelers and went on a little hiatus and took a sabbatical from that for a while. And, yeah. uh, but I, I mean, I, I bow hunting majority, I mean, I'd say all through high school, college, but I, I put it aside a lot to start racing motocross and everything. Yeah. But, uh, my gun, I bought a nice fierce three years ago. I wanted a gun that kind of was way better off than me. And I am, it, it, it is. It's a great gun. I have a blast with it. But inside 200 yards, I'm just like, oh, I got this in the bag. And I will whiff. <laughs> like, I filmed myself shoot my bow this year. Are you more I, confident under 200 with a bow than that? <laughs> well, it's the same thing at 20 yards with my bow. Oh, I'm man. like, oh, it's just right there. You know, I'll do a four-inch group at 20. I'll do a four-inch group at 70. Yeah. It's like, same thing with my gun. Because I dusted a coyote with my gun early rifle season at 1,100 yards. <laughs> first shot, you know. But I missed my bull this year at like 240. Like, clean miss. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I've done that with bears before too, with, with a rifle at like 
Yeah, we were talking about that like last week at League. <laughs> missed or we've all missed bears like bears are like the kryptonite they are they are and i don't know why they're yeah i don't it's it's fun but i've no i've had a blast hunting with my rival but i would sit i would if i had to choose it would be with a bow for sure so ty and i for those who don't know ty and i most people know my background but ty and i's background are strangely identical yeah uh and it was like first time oh it was uh was a mule deer or rocky mountain elk? elk foundation elk foundation dinner we were like standing in line doing stuff we start being at bs and it was like we knew a lot of the same people, like very, very, very scary, similar back, yeah. backgrounds like, oh, and everything. You raced moto. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I rode quads. <laughs> oh, you did? Me too. Usually that's the thing. Did like we just you'd... become best friends? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. Like you kind of tuck away for a while to like yeah. you give somebody your lap time at Glen Hill. Like, oh, you <laughs> kicked my ass on a bike. Okay. Yeah. Now, we're, now we're cool, you know, but. So when did you start? Well, What's your like background as far as elk hunting? Has it always been like what's what's your type of terrain? What's your calling or I guess not calling? What's your hunting style? Because most Montana people don't call, so I want to like give a little background to, to your like hunting style. Very non Montanan. Yeah, for a local Montanan, I'm very not Montanan where I can call. <laughs> And call and call. I was yeah. Glenn Berry like for Halloween in third grade, <laughs> and I think I've said that on your podcast before. But no, I. Uh, I love to call. I love, and that's, I think the draw of everything for me. Cause I I'll pass up 10 to 20 bulls on public ground mm. every year, just because I enjoy that so much. Well, you specifically don't hunt Eastern Montana because you, you're like, screw that. I want to call. So yeah. is that like, uh, why do Montana people not call first of all? And second of all, like, does it work in Montana? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it works to call for sure. I mean, I've, I've killed since 2012 i've killed a bull every year except for one which is last year when i he's dead but Still, i don't know where he's yeah. at anyway um and this year i mean i'll bet you, i lose count of how many bulls you can call in that i probably should have shot i mean bigger bulls that i killed with my rifle i passed up in archery yeah. season it works i mean it's stupid to say it doesn't work i think it, it is the measure of a man to say like you snuck in on something quietly and it didn't have it know you were there because uh. i've done that before too and I've killed the biggest bulls, honestly, like that way, but I've always located them with a bugle or sat on them all night, but it doesn't get better than like straight up pissing a bull off and yeah. wanting to fight. Like it does not get better. No, I think when I came to, so when I came to Montana, I came from the Roosevelt background, Oregon background where it's like, you can scream at every bull and it's going to fight you. And then like... <laughs> There was two problems to that scenario in Montana. I started hunting burns, first of all, which it doesn't work in burns. And burn like elk who frequent burns will stick in burns. It also is in wolf country and like there's a lot of variables there. Yeah. Uh and there's like a timing thing. And so like when I came to Montana, it didn't work. And I was like, Oh, this is why no one in Montana calls. So I switched. But now it's like I, I realize you just have to choose your terrain where you go and things like that. And like if you choose open country, obviously calling is not going to work the same it does in thick Washington, Oregon country and vice versa. And so like, I think you have to choose your terrain, but to say it doesn't work, I don't think that's the case. Oh I, yeah. I think you'd be an idiot to say it doesn't work. Um, and same thing like out in Eastern Montana, I drew a cool tag out there years ago and, uh, yeah, I'm still a guy out there running around screaming at things, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and called in some at the time biggest bulls that i've ever drawn my bow on but it's way more fun if you can call it fun have you ever hunted the brakes yeah can you call elk in the brakes because oh, yeah. everyone told me you can't oh 100 
Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't yield itself to calling in the brakes as good. I mean, you can see for miles. Yeah. And then anytime you bugle, like, they know where you're at. So you better be in, like, some corduroy country where you're going to be hidden. But, I mean, I elk hunt because they bugle. Like, I don't enjoy <laughs> fishing because they don't bugle. I don't, like... <laughs> I'm not a mule deer hunter because they don't bugle. Well, I mean, I have said that in the years yeah. past. This year, I had a... Two years consecutively, I've had a blast mule deer hunting. I wouldn't say I'm a mule deer hunter, yeah. but they don't bugle. You know? So you don't want to do it. Uh, what... The guys that go to the breaks, try to call elk, it doesn't work. So they're like, oh, you can't call elk in the breaks. You just have to spot and stuck. Why do you think that is? Why do people screw that? Is it because they don't know how to call? I would say they're not ambitious enough. Like they're not willing to to put on a one and a half mile stock on something that might be like 500 nautical yards away. Because mm. it's such broken country. I, I, 100% of the faults that I see in hunting is because people aren't willing to like go the extra mile. Grind, mm. you know. And, and I think that can be the case in open country calling because you have to be smart. You can't just call all the time. There's times you can't call. Oh, totally. And if you're smart about it, like know when to call, when not to call. Like you said, if you're in a break or something, like you're staying out of view or you don't call and then go over that break. So, you know, like you have to just be smart about how you do it. Yeah. This is coming from an armchair quarterback who's never hunted the breaks. So well, in my experience, the best textbook um, situation that I could have that I have drummed up 10, 12 times is you find elk, a bull with seven or eight cows, whatever, and you get in as tight as possible, mm -hmm. get into 50 yards of their closest cow and then just scream at them. Cause that's essentially you like Challenging. you're in the bubble and they're there's, they don't have a choice usually yeah. but they have to come this year. I had a, a beautiful, like 325, 330 bull. I was probably 40 yards from him when I screamed at him and he just wouldn't walk around the tree to see what I was. He just was like, Oh, he didn't even make a noise. He just, and Did I, you see, like, I, oh, my, I shouldn't have called. No. Cause that's just, I'd like yeah. to do, but I had my camera going on my chest even. And I was like, you pussy. Like, are you seriously <laughs> going to bitch out right now? Like I was upset at him for not wanting to so mad at you. I was, I was like, dude, you, this, you're not, playing with and it was like september 20th that's crazy yeah which i mean that happens and I, that's like the first time i've ever had that happen i've done it i've killed more than half of my bulls with a bow doing that like locating them getting in as tight as possible and then screaming at them dude i've had that happen a lot and i think a lot of times it's like sometimes it's there's a if there's a bigger bull in the area if this is a bull that doesn't isn't supposed to have the cows like i can think of scenarios in idaho where i knew there was a big bull in the area but he would never be cowed up. He would always just kind of float. Mm -hmm. And oh, when yeah. that was happening, those other bulls would just pick up and leave. Like if you got challenged, like they knew they weren't like the herd, herd bull, right? right? They weren't confident enough to dominate. Totally. And so if like you have like that big freak floater that just can, a lot of those old bulls will do that. They uh -huh. won't ever have cows, maybe a day or two, but they're like, cause you know how it is. You'll, you'll scout them out, you find them. And then you're like, where are they? Where are they? And like, you'll check every herd. Mm -hmm. No big bull to be found. It's like, I think they're just floating. They come in at night. Or they'll do the it real early and real late. This year I had biggest bull I saw this whole season. He was, he bugled all night, August 25th and 26th. Really? Mm -hmm. He had 70 cows. And I actually found him from the he air. He had cows August 25th? Like 70 of them. <laughs> Crazy. I found him and then hiked in there. Um, like I, I found him from the air, hiked in there for a couple overnight day, just scout trip. 
he still had cows. He was at like 10,000 over. He was way high. He was as high. I mean, there was mountain goats below us um, <laughs> when I got there. Um, yeah, he had a ton of cows. He bugled all night, the all next morning. And then I went in there for opener and he was bugling his face out. Like, I don't think he stopped bugling for the entire month. Then he disappeared. I was able to get real close to him in that typical, like, um, up in the clouds, Everest looking stuff where my yeah. rangefinder wouldn't work. And he was either at like 30 yards or 70 yards and I couldn't tell. I could just oh, see a God. silhouette. And then, you know, I wasn't willing to make like a stupid mistake. I hate that when your rangefinder says 60 and you're like, there's no way. Or well, like, or the inverse. It's like when it's, it's like saying 30, you're like, it's way farther than 30. Yeah. And I try not to question it, but it wouldn't register <laughs> anything. It was so thick. But I mean, the elk, there was a grizzly bear in the bottom and they had all pushed like up on top of this ridge, came all the way um, to the top of the ridge. I started cow calling, just trying to turn that lead cow and it worked. And they all come like stampeding by me, like the Lion King when the lion's <laughs> in the little thing in the box canyon. And, and then I saw the bull start coming through the clouds and I could just see silhouette. And I was like, that's a bull. And I, was like, and I had my rangefinder out and I went full drop, but it wouldn't read. And I was like, okay, I, he's right there. I was like, he's 30 yards. I was like, man, I, he may be 70. And it was like 30 or 60, 30 or 70. I was like, I couldn't tell. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I'm not going to wound an elk up here. You know, it's opener. Yeah. But after that, he left. So he left on opener, mm -hmm. which and is kind of late this year, but still not late enough. He to never like came back. Like I, those cows stayed up there. Um, like a nice five point ran the show for the next week and I could never find him again. So, what, what, okay, I want to get into, like, some high country stuff, but what did the herd do? Because a lot of people say, like, uh, you know, oh, elk are still high. You hear that Montana, like, oh, elk totally. are still high. And so what they're saying is, like, they're still above Timberline. They spend most of the summer there. In theory, from what I can deduct, is most of the time those elk are really high, and then as the rut progresses, they start to move down. A lot of people think that bulls push them down. I think the cows go looking for rut activity or they have rut grounds to that effect yeah i think it's a mixture of both for yeah. sure because i've when i was a young idiot and i'd just walk into the woods at august 30th and start yeah. bugling you know i'd one time i remember pulling cows from the high country running miles to come to a yeah. bugle i no, i truly believe like some of those lead cows are like we're going like this mm -hmm. is their and i think it's more like just this is a pattern so they'll go like be up here for a while and then they go down there for a while and then sometimes they'll go back up. I don't know that it's completely pressure driven because a lot of people are like, guys, well, they get pushed out of the high country or whatever. I, I think there's like a mix. Like, yeah, they can get pushed out of the high country. Yes, bulls can go up there and run them back down. Yes, lead cows can just drag the whole herd down as well. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's back up and say your pros, cons of hunting high country and or maybe like start with like what is high country? Elk hunting. I mean, opener first two weeks when rut activity typically isn't end of the swing at all. I like to pick a mountain and at 10,000 feet and just say, I'm going to go live up there for the reason I believe like bigger bulls are up there. And I, I just love being in those places, mm -hmm. but I've always found monarch bulls up there. Oh, really? Up high. Yeah. Licking salt on rocks, like doing some things that you just don't see them doing in yeah. a low country. Um, this year where I started, it was so bad that I couldn't even bring my horses cause I couldn't find water for them. Oh, just no, no water up high. Yeah. But I mean, there, there'd be little, like a little puddle here and there that but I you could, still had a herd of like 70 up there. Oh, I know. And that was what was nuts. I was like, I don't, I, I, there was a wallow 
that had very little water in it, but I was like, I could never, I'd be blowing the elk out of there to bring horses in there and even try to water them in there. Imagine trying to water 70 horses though. That's insane. I, but they, they could in one night probably go all the way down them to a, a drainage mm. drink and head back up. They could. I never yeah. saw them do it, but I don't know where they were getting their water because I want to go in there this summer and try to find a place where I can pack my horses in there because it sucked a lot <laughs> on yeah. foot. So Well, that's the, that's the downside to horses in high country. It's like, mm, there's feed, like in August there's feed, but then like yeah. sometimes water's hard, camping's and, hard. Yeah, and that's another thing though, these high country places some of them create their own um their own weather so sometimes mm -hmm. you'll be in like hip deep grass way up high because it'll rain up there all summer all summer long when it might not be raining down in the bottoms so i've been real lucky in the last couple of years to find places like that where weather is created just by the topography and you'll find like hip high grass in something where if you're in montana you're like well it's a drought year this that and the other yeah. thing and then all of a sudden you're like man this is hog heaven for elk right now sort of the downsides to hunting high country it ain't easy <laughs> but yeah. like, um you don't have any friends that are going to come help you pack elk <laughs> um but there's not there's not enough downsides to ever keep me from up there i enjoy every second up there i mean yeah. open up the tent this year and i had a kid goat 15 feet from the tent and like not worried about me at all that's crazy you know, your experiences are just exponentially greater for me. You know, I love being up there. Yeah. It, it's like a, it's a poor man's sheep hunt. I have no interest in sheep right now, but I, I love being around goats and, yeah. and, uh, I just elk hunting them in that country. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I would say the argument I'll put out there is that logistically it's harder first off. And second off, when you bump things, they go away, they go, <laughs> they go away. Yeah. There's no like. You know, like if you're hunting something in a rolling hills, you're like, oh, if I come back tonight, they'll probably come back in the same spot. Like elk can cross a drainage that could take you a day or two to get across. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, it's yeah. high risk, high reward. It is. But I feel like you're also playing with elk that might be um, not as peopled as something down lower. That's for sure. You know, that. that's my biggest battle anymore. And that's why I'm actually looking into private land now <laughs> is because it's such a pain in the ass getting away from people anymore. You know, I, I like being able to. I think you'll to, go back. You'll probably end up. Well, yeah, probably. Cause I don't like when I did hunt the breaks, I saw a ton of elk had a blast. I mean, I wish I would have killed this huge club bull out there. He still haunts my dreams, <laughs> but there's something that I really enjoy about being in the high country. I mean, you see so many cool things, mountain, yeah. you know, grizzly bears chasing mountain goats. That's crazy. Just seeing goats. And then you'll see a bull chase, pushing seven or eight cows across the rock scurry that you're like what on earth is he doing up there but yeah. i feel like maybe up there they don't have they're not looking out for people so you if you know what's going on you can put yourself on a spot to be really lethal versus hoping and dreaming that they might circle back or do whatever yeah. when you're hunting low country what's the best way to scout high country airplanes <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i asked you that question <laughs> ty's uh, a pilot and he flies all the time so it's not really fair well <laughs> i mean i i like flying just because it's yeah. you know it's flying it's like you know it's just the feeling to get but i certainly like i love seeing places and then getting your soul crushed and you're like oh i can just hike up here and do this that and the other thing you get there you're like well that's not what i thought it was you know <laughs> um but you can you can glass a lot of high country from low ground and find critters yeah. you know a lot of times i'll do it in um i'll do it during bear season 
a lot there's been times when I've seen the same bull in bear season or what I assume to be the same bull. Yeah. I'll see them up there in September. Really? Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're trying to, they're always following the grass line up just like bears are. So you end up seeing elk where black bears are at. Mm. And sometimes if, if, if they don't get pushed around, they'll still be there. And I like, I mean, I like, trust me, I like hunting black bears 20 minutes from the truck after work like <laughs> everybody else, but I like hunting them in yeah. a bivy too from the high country. Dude, I think that's going to be the ticket. I think bear hunting, spring bear has gotten so popular. Like now it's like you, you kind of got to put the same amount of effort into it as you do with elk just to. Yeah. I think it's going to be that much better because, like, I, I half-assed it a long time and got away with it, but now there's so many people doing it, you can't really half-ass it anymore. You kind of, like, yeah. go a little bit farther. I don't know. I, I think people need to skin a couple of them. They'll probably <laughs> be like, all right, like, how about you hunt? And I'll just go with. <laughs> that's, oh, that's where I'm favorite. at. <laughs> that's where I'm at, too. It's like, I'll just, I'll take you bear hunting. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> no, I, I got a spot now where I, like, just getting done and hiking down the mountain and going and get tacos and driving home for the next hour and a half. That's like yeah. what I really look forward to. <laughs> yeah, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, high country. Cause it seems like you're really into calling. I wouldn't think high country elk hunting would be conducive to calling. If you can get that, get at that tree line where I feel like elk dive in and out of where the, you know, the Alpine stops when you get that high mm-hmm. uh, elk love to bed right in there. And sometimes it's either locating them or getting right in their face. And you might be 30 yards from them, but not be able to see them. What else are you going to do? Sit and wait. Yeah. You know, it, it being a caller, you can be so much more aggressive than most people think. And I like to hunt by myself a lot, but when I take people they're a hundred percent of the time, they're like, dude, I did not know you could be that aggressive really? and have elk come in. <laughs> I like when you, people are like, oh man, you're being, or being really loud. Like when you're walking, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. No. <laughs> like we could be loud. Oh yeah. I mean, we've been calling. So yeah, we're actually if trying to make noise. If you've ever experienced those times middle of the morning when elk are just kind of doing their own thing and that you get a herd to walk by you, like they can be obnoxious, you know? They, For sure. They, yeah. You've, some people have had the, the awesome experience of having them bugle all night and you're not being able to sleep. But sometimes that early morning when they're just traveling, moving from grazing to bedding, like they're not quiet, especially if you get like more than 10, Yeah, you know, they, they just assume somebody else is looking out a lot of the time, you know, that if you get in with, with a big bull, he's going to be scanning a lot more. He's going to be reliant and pushing those cows out like a hundred yards in front of him a lot of times. But if you can run parallel with the wind and put yourself in a good spot, you know what they're doing. They're going to make noise. You can move with them and get away with a lot. Would you rather have a bull, say find a target bull, he's with say 10 cows or by himself? With cows. Really? Oh yeah. Why do you say that? Yeah. Um, if you can stay, I mean, I've done it a couple times where <clears throat> a bull have eight, 10, 12, 15 cows and, and, there seems to be like a happy spot where you can get within a hundred yards of them and make noise. And they might think it's a satellite bull making a pop over here on that stick or whatever. And you can get away with a lot more, but if you have a bull by himself, well, I mean, I take that back. There's been times <laughs> when you can have a big bull by himself and he might just be desperate and you could call him yeah. in lickety split. I've done I feel that. like that's more rare though. Yeah. I've seen it, but a lot of times, like if they don't like what they don't see, they're going to be gone. Mm-hmm. But if you got a couple cows there and he's kind of being entertained by a couple cows, 
I feel like you can get within 100 yards, maybe sit there and wait for him to, you know, make a pass Close at him. the closest cow and then scream at him aggressively like you're a bull coming in to steal the show. Like, he doesn't have a choice but to come fight you, mm -hmm. you know? So, going to solo hunting stuff, I want to talk a little bit about, like, how does that change if you're with someone, not with someone? Like, how do you, how do you approach it differently as a solo hunter? It's definitely tougher. It's every time I hunt with somebody that knows what they're doing on a grunt tube or a cow call, it's incredible. I'm always like, gosh, dang it. I wish there was better people like to, to hunt with because yeah. you throw somebody a hundred yards behind you, you could get a bull to step on you by yourself. You always, you better be willing to like call them in, look at their chest for five minutes while they try to figure out where you're at and then yeah. give a slight turn. And then you'd be able to execute a shot because you're always going to get that frontal shot. You know, yeah. which I don't like to take. I mean, it's, it is. <laughs> you don't like frontal shot? I've, no, I mean, I've is killed this, a couple bulls at the frontal shot, but the one I lost that last year, it didn't change me per se, but I was like, I, I'm still confused of why he is not dead or Where why didn't I didn't find him. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, you know, so, but that's the thing. Solo hunting, you're always going to, that's the shot that you get first. And you have to be patient enough to either let him turn or, play your game right to where you're going to think that he's, you're going to make a call that maybe projects you down a cane or off the ridge or whatever yeah. to get him to come past you. Do you think that's the hardest part of solo hunting is shot opportunities? I mean, I can get a lot of shot opportunities, but good shot opportunities is what sucks. <laughs> Cause I've called for people and I'll be like, yeah. dude, this, I'll bet you this bull comes right down here, right? This, you need to get over here and he'll come and give you a broadside shot. And it works a lot. Um, solo. Dude, there's so many times where they come in solo and you're like, or you, it's not even like the, the frontal shots about 50% of it. And then just like, not like getting busted or like they stop in the wrong spot or like, cause you got to, you know, stop them or turn them or do something. Like it's just such a, such a gamble. You're like kind of flipping a coin. Like say a bull comes in, even if you have a frontal and you like draw and you cow call to stop him as he turns, like it's kind of like, uh, hopefully you get a shot and hopefully but, it's not a limit. You hunt by yourself a lot too, don't you? Yeah. How often is it like a ragamuffin bull or like a five point where you're like, well, I'm not going to shoot that bull anyway, but yeah. let's see what happens. Oh, all the time. Dude, I enjoy the crap out of that. Yeah. That's so much fun because then you get to learn a whole bunch. Yeah. I think my, I've learned way more on like five points, which don't act the same. Don't get me wrong. Totally. hundred <laughs> percent. Cause like with a five point, it's almost guaranteed. You'd be like, you know, and they're like, stop and give you the perfect shot. And it's probably because I wasn't trying to shoot him, you know, like just the universe. That seems how it works. Yeah. <laughs> but if it was a big bull, like he'd definitely stop behind a tree or like, you know. Yeah. But I feel like you can read the, read how they're calling, read their vocals a little bit. And that's, what's been real fun to me. Like I think everybody listens to Phelps and what he thinks bullers are saying when they do certain mm -hmm. bugles or whatever. But I, there's a lot of, you, when you know a bull's like gonna come and kick your ass, you know it's yeah. not like a question like, "Oh, is he coming? Is he coming?" No, when you hear it, like you know uh, he's coming and he's not stopping until he fights somebody. That yeah. and that for me, that's what I'm hunting for. Like, usually I don't have like a size of bull or anything, but I'm like hunting for that experience. I want some bull to. How do you take a bull from casual to wanting to kick your ass? How do you scale? How, like, say we go out there and I can think of a scenario, um, you know, bull's talking, but I'm like, he's just not that interested. How do you go from there to like that bull's coming? Getting bull? in their face. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, it, I mean, it, and a lot of it would be what time of year, that kind of thing. Cause some bulls just won't, 
you know, they might just sit there and bugle at you and keep grazing. Yeah. I've had that happen a ton too, but a lot of it's the time of year. If it's a big bull that I want to kill and I, I'm, I probably wouldn't just try to get him to want to come kick. I'd probably just get as close as possible and then try to turn them with a like aggressive bugle or get them to close that last 40 yards for me. But sometimes you're not going to make those bulls do that. But if you were, it would be getting in their face and screaming yeah. at them. Yeah, it's just like if anybody did it with you or I. So, like, let's run through that scenario a little bit. Bull says something, talks, you kind of move closer, you get super close, maybe you're 100 yards, 80 yards. You're screaming his face, nothing happens. He keeps moving. If you're 100 yards, I'd say you needed to get closer before. <laughs> See, like, I like to get... But at 60 yards, do you shoot or just... Um, at six, I mean... I would take a 70 yard shot if I had, like, if I had a no. perfect, I needed a nose there. Yeah. Well, that's always the case I get it to. Like, say I move in and I'm like, I see him and he's feeding at 70 yards. Instead of bugling, I'm like, man, can I close the 20 yards? Oh, yeah. yeah. And like, not have to say anything. Yeah. Um, you know, at 100 yards, go either way. Um, 100 yards is kind of that line where, like, if I couldn't get away with it, can I at least get his attention? Uh, I tend to like go straight to rake. I'm, I love really? the rake. Oh, a hundred times. Um, and I've done this so many times with little bulls, but it's like, I'll get them to a hundred. They're looking for me. They're trying to peg me and they're trying to find where I am. But if I start raking, they start raking game over. Like I can now move cause they can't see me. Um, and they, they t- tend to take their eyes off things like, and then they're just looking for me to mimic so I can rake and then move or, with little bulls, like if I was going to shoot any bull, I'd just start raking and then I'd stop. Curiosity will kill that cat oh, 10 times out of 10. Like they'll start raking and then like chuckle at you and like, ooh. And like they're asking, like, where yeah, are you? And yeah. I won't say anything. And every single time they'll come in. They'll yeah. come like, and, but it's funny because it's like they lose track of where you were. Once they start raking, I, I really believe this. Like you bugle a bull, walk a mile away, look right at you. And know exactly where you bugle from. You could be 80 yards away, start raking, he starts raking, he starts walking and he can't remember where you were. I don't know why, but, and this could just be little bulls. I've never like had a big bull do this, but so many times I've had bulls like rake and then like you can tell he doesn't know where to look. He's like looking over there, he's like looking over there and he's kind of doing that half chuckle like, hey, where are you at? That makes me wonder if they're assuming that you're moving or that the other elk is moving, you know? I don't know. Or just like when they rake, they lose, they can't lose track. I mean, if they have that sense. Yeah. I mean, as smart as they are, I don't think they lose. I just, I would have bet they're like, oh, well, they're probably still moving with cows or whatever. Eh. I haven't done a ton of raking. I I do it here and there, but I've never, like, I don't have any conscience like, oh, rake now, except oh, for moose. That's moose my first go-to. Raking, but. First go-to. Really? Yeah. Early huh. season, like before the 15th, hands down. Even after, like I've had multiple bulls where like I'll challenge Bugle and we're playing that cat and mouse game mm-hmm. where like, you know, he'll scream at me, but then he'll go back to his cows. He'll scream at me, go back to his cows and I'll just start raking and then he'll start raking. And that's how I've always been able to close the gap. Uh, just cause like, then I can move. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, okay, I can move 15 yards. I know he's oh, 15, eyes closed. Yeah, 50. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I Easy. mean, there's a, there's a balance of like how fast and loud you can move, but if I'm hunting with people, I'm like, dude, if he starts bugling, <laughs> you need to be moving as yeah. fast as you can, as quietly as you can. You're like, you're going to be making noise. When you see like some Ninja. of these guys, yeah, when you see some of these guys on TV doing it, and I'm just like, I feel like you're trying to animate this. 
like it's outrageous but yeah. i was like you can move like and they're still stealthy critters you know but you can move you can close 20 yards yeah you know in the right situation in one bugle you know oh, for sure i mean i we've all done it when you bugle a bull and then you just hear like a freaking d8 coming through the timber and it's a bull yeah you know? just yeah sounds like a toyota pickup trying to get through yeah. the brush yeah <laughs> so you can get away with a lot but it's I, I haven't i haven't used the raking often i've done like really? I've, yeah i mean i've grabbed and beat brush now and then if i i don't know i I think i've done it when i feel like i'm pinned down and nothing can see me and mm -hmm. i don't want to just i don't know what the right call would be i I know i've grabbed a stick and like popped it a couple times but i've i don't, I don't have anything in my arsenal that's like oh yeah this is when you rake this is when you don't oh rake. man I think I fall back to that one faster than the challenge really? bagel. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I'll mimic and anymore. Like I found that there's like a category of bull for me that challenge bugle works with versus trying to just mimic. So like mimic, it seems like the challenge bull is going to work or challenge bugle is going to work on that four to six year old. Mm -hmm. Good six point solid great bull but it seems like the seven eight year olds like the real mature bulls doesn't seem to work as well um, and i'd agree 100 percent. i think yeah. you're gonna kill that bigger class of bull and as much as i love to call i think you're gonna kill that bigger class of bull with yeah. without like getting aggressive with them in tight because they might either know the game or not want to deal with you yeah i feel like that was in my experience they just don't care yeah the biggest bull i ever killed i mean i've I hunted him for like four days, put five or six different stocks on him. And I killed him with one mew after following him. Did up. you tell that story on the podcast before? No, not in detail. The, the shoot one, which is that the one that lived in the yeah, shoot? The avalanche shoot. Yeah. Why don't you tell that story? I couldn't remember if you, I just heard it so, or if I, you had told it on the podcast. It was, uh, it was in October. It was getting close to the end of archery season. And I'd been in this basin and I'd seen a couple really good bulls in it. And I, um, I'd actually, same thing. I bear hunted this basin, bought a new horse, rode in there, <laughs> bear hunted this basin a lot, saw some good bulls. Um, first day in there, just see this giant cranker of a bull chasing one cow. And there was another like 350 bull down on this other side of the basin with seven or eight cows. Um, this labor bull. yeah, this bull would come in, like steal one cow and then go back up and bed in this avalanche shoot. And I watched him for a day or two and I'd get in with him and I scream and I'd scream at him and he'd just like keep moseying, but he'd scream. And this is where I need to like harness myself because I'll follow a bugling bull for the, to the end of the earth. <laughs> Cause I'd bugle, he'd bugle back, but he'd be walking. I'd see him in the timber. I'd have my binos up and I could see him 70 yards away, just walking and bugling, walking and bugling. And I'd follow him for miles till I'm four or five miles from my horse camp and it's getting dark. I'm like, damn it. Like he played me hard and I was yeah. a sucker for it. He's like, come on, little he guy. Did, he, seriously. I'm not, <laughs> I, it's not the first time that's happened, but he did it to me for two days. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if this was an internal happening or what, but I freaking lost my grunt tube it was super hot so i was yeah. like i'd move like 50 60 yards trying to get around this 350 bull with cows like i literally walked around i can't believe i didn't ever shoot that bull but i walked around this bull a couple mornings and he'd be just the ultimate rut fest just back and forth between cows bugling and i'd be in the timber he'd be out in the pocket meadow and i was just working the tree line around him and looking back on it now it's a weird thing that hunting does to us because <laughs> i don't know look i was like that's stupid why even pass up that bull yeah but i walked around him like 
two mornings in a row yeah to get to this you know <laughs> unicorn of a bull well in this process it was hot i didn't want to sweat and i'd been out there for like five or six days probably smelled disgusting so i'd walk 50 60 yards take my pack off and like try not to sweat walk another 50 60 yards trying to sweat well i'd always have my grunt tube in my hand and i'd put it down unbuckle my pack yeah pick it up well then i get to where i think this big bull is like within shooting range but i can't see him i went to scream and i was like oh no i lost my grunt tube. <laughs> it's the worst feeling in the world so i end up walking in as close to i can and he never knew i was there the whole time and i found a little ditch the winds ended up switching and i actually laid down in this ditch i actually ended up passing out but uh <laughs> he went up up into this avalanche shoot and that's where i figured out that he was like he'd probably gain a thousand feet to the top of this avalanche chute yeah. in straight sheep mountain goat country and bed. Was there trees up there? Not in the chute. There was along the sides of it, but mm. um, no, it was like huge boulders, huh. like just avalanche chute. And uh, I follow him up there the next day and didn't call nothing. I just wanted to kind of see what he'd do. And I kind of wanted to sound like maybe there was four or five cows following him. So I'd mew now and then, you know how like cows will talk yeah. to each other. I'd do that. And he'd let out, if I could read a bugle, he'd let out something that said, don't follow me up here. Like I'm sick of you women, <laughs> leave me alone. And I'd like, I'd, I got a video. I grabbed a little, the tiniest rock and just like tossed it down the avalanche chute and just let it like sound like steps or something. And he'd bugle at that. Like he did not want me. And I'd be within 50, 60 yards of him. I couldn't see him. And I'd just throw these things down the edge of the tree line and just let it bounce down the chute. And he'd just let out these bugles. Like don't come up here. Really? Yeah. So, um, Luckily I moved my, my, I have, I had one horse and I'd have her high lined and I just had my bivy and I'd sleep, um, kind of out of way out of the way to where the elk were usually partying a little bit. Well, I moved my bivy to where I could like try to hear this bull at night and he had a real distinct bugle. So I ended up sleeping on him all night and in the morning knew he, him and another bull were already sun was coming up and they were already done with cows and he was moving back up his saving avalanche shoot just out of curiosity what did he do did, that night like you heard him get up go back down i the I'd never i never heard him like come up but i'd hear him like leave the peaks and come down 800 feet and start bugling at other bulls and breeding yeah but i was assuming that he was just like pulling a cow or two from this other bull and breeding them all no. night and then leaving he's probably a sleeper bull and just come down do his thing at night and then go back up. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I never saw him and I hunted this basin the previous two weeks and I seen that other bull a couple times. I never saw this bull. I don't know that he ever came out cause I never yeah. saw him early season or anything. Um, but he, so he ended up coming down. I don't have a grunt tube, slept on all night and him and this other bull were on the other sides of this Creek, just screaming at each other, like a bunch of high schoolers or something, <laughs> you know? And so I ended up walking a mile to get to where these guys are. And we don't realize how fast elk move through oh, timber God. and i'm like jogging trying to keep up with them and i can tell i got to a point where there's this tiny little pocket meadow probably 70 yards across and i was like i feel like he's just on the other side of this meadow i wish i could bugle because the other bull was behind me i'm in the middle of these two and i was like man if i had a grunt tube i'd totally call right now like i'd scream at him and maybe he'd turn around mm -hmm. well luckily i didn't <laughs> i had one uh, cow diaphragm. So I put it in my mouth. I ran 70 yards 
to the other side of this meadow below him so further away from him mewed twice like too simple like mew mew and then ran back up to where i could look into the meadow and i just see this giant rat coming down and i'm like game on he's at least 80 yards away if i if he can come down to this meadow into the middle of this meadow he's dead well he comes to the edge of the meadow and doesn't see anything and stands there for like what i feels like forever but it's probably a minute <laughs> turns and he, maybe this is where i should learn something he starts beating the snot out of a tree yeah and then just kind of loses interest and starts walking back up the avalanche so i run back down there and just give one sloppy mew run back up there and now he's like all right there's a hot cow down here i think is what he's thinking and he comes down and gave me a 40 yard quartering two shot and um yeah shot him and, and he died in like 20 yards Man. didn't bleed at all but i mean that was after five days of failed stocks on this one bull yeah. like that's a super short story but um it was so gratifying in that moment because oh, of that yeah. like everything that i learned and tried i mean yeah he's a huge bull it was like 383 but it, i told myself i was like if that bull was a just a standard 300 bull that would have been the best hunt of my life that was <laughs> so much fun the bull's 383 mm -hmm. god damn that's huge yeah he was a good one and i didn't want to measure him <laughs> but some dude called me he's like dude i want to come hey from missoula he's like yeah. can i come and i don't even i don't even remember the guy's name now he drove over that day and uh Measure measured him but i i That's but awesome. it was i was so far back like i cut him up um do you know how big he was when he hit the ground no i didn't i didn't know he had like he's a, ended up being an eight by six and he has a Jeez. he's got a kicker off of his third that's seven inches and it comes out three inches and then does a 90 degree and turns four inches straight down and he's got a 22 inch kicker off the bottom of his fifth on God. that same size same side um but when i first saw him chasing the cow that first day i saw his typical side and i saw him for just a second and he was probably i think he's 250 yards away yeah I just remember being like, oh, damn, like we're here to party. Like that's a bull we're going to kill. Like, I don't care what it takes. Yeah. I'll not come out till he's dead. Yeah. But I didn't know any of the, anything else. And then the, I had seen like pieces like you do when you're through timber, like you see pieces of antler, but I never saw like the kickers or anything. Yeah. Like I, I walked up to him and I like, I was like, I mean, I took my breath away. Like I knew he was huge, but I didn't know he had all this extra stuff. Dude. And I, and I, was very gratifying because i had walked around a, another beautiful bull those other couple yeah. mornings but which is funny because i don't care if that bull scored 340 killing the bull that like that bull in particular and i've just there's a few that i've had over the years that are like there's the herd bull and then there's the bull that's above the herd bull but you know he just like comes in when he wants Dude, those bulls are so hard to kill. They are. And it, like I said, fortunately, I had the time. I afforded myself the time mm -hmm. to like that year, I was going to do whatever it took to just kill a monarch. And I found one. And I, I seriously, I, and I can't remember off the top of my head once, but I counted how many failed stocks I had on this one bull. Oh, it's amazing you didn't bump him out of there. Well, and the amount of patience I had, which I'm not a patient person <laughs> until it comes hunting season. I'm not. Yeah. Like, I, I'm way more like, business-wise everything i'm way more yeah. trigger happy let's make things happen yeah but i knew it some of these situations that i couldn't afford to blow them out and then luckily give an example of that like what was a time where you said okay i'm gonna take the safe route 
not be like when I did have my grunt tube, yeah. like I just wanted elk to be, I wanted him to do him yeah. and I wasn't going to try to force anything, you know, where a lot of times these public land bulls, when you know they're hot, cause here's a couple of times he was hot. Cause when I found him, it was like noon, you and know, he was, he, he was bugling, chasing this cow across the meadow. And then as that five days went on, he started definitely going like post rut. Yeah. Like get away uh, from me. I'm moving up. I'm going back to 10,000 feet, which I think where my camp was, was still like 8,000. So like I'd get up, hike up, get to where the elk were partying. This is in October or September? October. And he was still at 10,000. Dude, I love October. Yeah. I've said that. Like I, I think one, people are out of the hills. The bigger bulls are really either starting to rut again or take the second. I don't know what. There's all kinds of theories out there, but I always get into bigger bulls in October. Really? Hmm. I, I I would agree with you. Like the woods disappear first snow. Like it could be late September, but once it starts snowing, people like if they've put in enough time already, they're like, ah, we'll wait for rifle. Yeah, I'll wait for rifle. Yeah. Um, and even Lampers has told me that. he's like, man, I really like October uh, Montana because nobody's out there. Yeah. Nobody's hunting. Oh yeah. I, but as the public ground becomes a lot more, f- you know, fashionable to other people that are mm-hmm. moving here, it kind of. It pushes me away. Yeah. But uh I I like October because in my experience, bigger like I end up seeing way bigger bulls the very tail of September from October to when it closes. Is that even considering like scouting? Like I feel like I've always said the best way to kill a giant bull is to scout him up all summer and then kill him opening week. I haven't been able to do that and I really want to be able to say I've done that. I yeah. haven't been able and to you do an it. airplane. So I feel like that's like you should 10 times more likely pull that off than me. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe this year will be the year, <laughs> but, but there's, I mean, there is, there's a lot of different cases though. Cause I got friends that kill 400 inch bulls way down low on hay fields, you know, in the mm. Rocky mountains. Yeah. You know, so it depends on where you're at and where I hunt, it just gets beat up with people. So those elk are going to go where there's no people. Where do you think? Oh, I said, if you had to guess, where do those Monarch 380 bulls, are they, they live up high in the summer? I think they live within like a 300 yard radius all year long. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you could go out right now um, and find bulls, I'll bet you, at 9,000 feet. And we just got hammered with snow. Really? Oh, well, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'm going to get back in the airplane. <laughs> but I've done that before. Are you still seeing bulls up high? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I've done it in February when I used to like really wolf hunt a lot Mm -hmm. where you'd see bulls like chest deep and you're like, what are you doing up there, dude? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's awesome to see, but it doesn't make any sense to you or I. No, not at all. Like no one can even shoot you right now. And what are you doing? If you, this gets an argument. So Ryan, Ryan and I, Ryan Lampers and I were talking about how um, he wants to do rifle season in Montana just as a challenge. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I almost guarantee, well, I know he's going to be successful at it, but I think there's not very many people hunting as high and as far back. Like, I think a lot of people, they wait for the elk to come down or whatever, but, and even with the last two winters, I don't think a lot of those elk are coming down before the end of no rifle. Dude, I saw elk at, like on top of big sky <laughs> this year at the end of rifle season. That's you know, nuts. They were, there, there was elk really high. And where I ended up killing my bull was... I worked way harder than I thought I was going to have to. You're rifleable? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you ride like 22 miles that the, day? The, yeah. It was <laughs> silly. I had to go in and I've, I've done this a couple with my last couple bulls where I'll kill them and it'll be so far back that I like got to come out to service and like 
James, I need help. <laughs> Someone with horses, come help me, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to ride way up behind private and then ended up shooting them super, super high on a mountain. Like we didn't have any snow at the, even the end of rifle season this year. Yeah. But every year it surprises me where I'll see elk, you know, and he was no giant bull or anything, but there was a ton of elk up high. Hmm. And I've seen, like I've, in February, I've taken pictures of bulls up high while wolf hunting really? that I've seen while deep being in the bottom and looking up and be like, what are they doing? Like, are they trying to get away from wolves yeah. or whatever, you know? Would you hunt high country? And I mean, obviously you killed your biggest bull pretty high country in October and you've hunted high country early. Do you think there's a middle ground where it's not as effective? Not as effective to hunt high country. Yeah. Yeah. Like deep, deep rut, you know, yeah. September 25th. I don't agree with that. September I think 20th. like high, if I'm going to hunt high, I really think hunting high early is going to get you big bulls. Mm. And I think maybe October, I think it's when the, you know, big bulls go down rut and then they start going back up. That's where you're. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Some buddies of mine in college, we would hunt this one. We would just beat this one spot up. And it was a brutal, like five and a half hour hike in early season we would go in there being a bunch of yahoos and have shots at little bulls all the time but we made a deal like we're not <laughs> shooting little elk and my buddy trenton smith i was like dude i will cut your bowstring full draw if you draw on a raghorn back here i will not do it you know but we would we'd hike into this spot in early season it would be it'd be awesome but then we'd drive a couple hours you know leave the house drive a couple hours and then see giant bulls down along rivers down in the bottom and then we'd brutally hike all the way up there and we had like two weekends mid rut where there wasn't a there wasn't a single elk up mm -hmm. there well then you post rut would start coming along and then and nobody's back there because they're like there's no elk back there yeah. yeah but you'd start finding post rut coming those bulls would be solo coming back up and you'd get into them you get them curious enough to where they'd come into beagles they'd come into calls but we just you know lack of experience or whatever could never mm -hmm. get it done up there still have never killed a bull up there but it's a it's a high country but there was never there was never elk up there during what you would consider the rut yeah quick advice would you if you had to kill <clears throat> an elk with your bow how would you go about it and how would it be different than like what we were just talking about if i had to kill an elk with my bow like, I man would, i just want to kill a bull i'd walk like, a, let's not let's not say an, an elk let's kill a bull i okay. kill a bull i'd walk a mile up any trailhead and do a slutty lost cow call and you'd get some little ragamuffin bull to just come with his tongue hanging out and you could smoke him just would just walk around just blowing a oh, my people do that all the uh, don't do that <laughs> but but i mean you can kill okay i mean you can kill big bulls that way but i feel like you can play catch and release so often yeah with you know smaller bulls like that just cow call and i don't like to cow call a lot but like when I hunt with Mark, he loves the cow call. Really? He loves it. Yeah, and he's huh. a terrible bugler. Uh, well, he calls in a ton of elk. So he does. Cow and, call must work. Well, it does. And I, if you want to kill an elk, I think that's the way to do it. What's the biggest mistake people make? You had mentioned like not, not trying hard enough, but like the average archery elk hunter killed one or two elk. What do you think he's not doing right? Not working hard enough. Not willing to spend a night with grizzly bears. Not. Um, yeah, I feel like, I mean, it's easy. We all get tempted to like want to hang it up or put our hat on the rack after, you know, a couple things have gone wrong, but it always yeah. seems in that last push of every year where you're like, 
for me at least ever that last push of every year is when things like come together and become just those magical moments or you'll see that 400 inch bull on public land you're like dude i almost quit five minutes ago yeah no that i mean i had that experience early on and it changed me how often have you had the experience where you either shoot an elk or do some end your season decide to end your season and minutes or moments later the biggest bull you've seen that year or ever pops out that has definitely happened for sure i was thinking not the biggest bull i've ever seen but i literally was chasing a bull one time and got frustrated this is day 21 in idaho shot a rag five and the bull was flopping around on the ground and my target bull came and bugled at him <laughs> was staying there as i was walking up to this elk oh. and he's like just comes out 50 yards and screams i'm oh. like of course dude <laughs> i've had that happen more times than i can count and i said it even this year like i was like i shopped through 13 different bulls when i shot my bull this yeah, year did. and i was like i guarantee i'm gonna you shoot this last hour oh yeah i was like i'm gonna shoot this beautiful six point bull and there's gonna be a toad just step out right after because it yeah. happened the year before no joke i mean i i shot my bull and then a legit I'm going to say 400 bull bigger than my other bull for sure. 399 and seven eights. It's something. <laughs> he was huge. Stepped out 30 yards away. And I had just put an arrow in this other bull. He, I mean, he was 30 yards away and he screamed at me and I put my binos up and I almost crapped my pants. He was huge. <laughs> but then 2012 the year Rose and I got married. I shot a, an awesome 320 bull with my bow. It was blast by myself. And I had been seeing a bigger bull in there and I shoot this bull and not 15 seconds later out comes this my target bull screaming yeah of course yeah <laughs> you know but it, it, i don't know I, I think if you're willing to suffer a little bit more i think you can make some or see some more things make some magical moments happen you know i think a lot of people quit I mean, we see it in society. I just don't with know that they know how hard to work i don't think i think it's a case of people don't know what they don't know and I think if you could like go hunting with someone who like is kind of next level, you're like, oh, I get it now. And like, the expectation for people these days is to kill an elk, which is why we're out there. Like, I don't go hiking for fun. Yeah. Like, there's got to be something I'm pursuing. Yeah. But I'm, I almost more than like killing, I would 100% more than killing a big bull. I am like out to adventure. Like, I want to go see new country. I want to see new things. I want to see awesome moments. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not content, like I was this archery season, I passed up four or five, three twenty bulls. If I'm not content, I'm going to keep hunting. I'm going to keep seeing things. If yeah. people aren't, if you're, if you don't have it in you to like either want to do that or push harder or see more experiences, gain more experiences, I don't think you're going to ever get there. If you're just like, oh, I got to kill a big bull. And I've been with those people and it's like, we need to go up here. I'll bet you there's a big bull up there. What's, I'm like, yeah, right now, I'd like that drainage over there looks nice to me yeah. like oh there's a grizzly bear like let's see how close we can get or something you know and then it's <laughs> Ooh, like it's oh touchy. there's a huge bull in here you know yeah. the more more time the better off you're going to be but i think a lot of people aren't willing to just be there be where you are mm-hmm. spend time in there you know i was really bummed this year when i shot a bull on the third day of season like i was, I was stoked and i was like but man that was, i've never shot anything on opening day i've never even shot anything on opening week and I remember I shot that bull and I was like, it was like this, I, I watched the bull go down and literally felt this like, that's awesome. 
I'm oh, done. No. <laughs> like, oh, it's over. See, I really wanted to this year because like Mark had a sheep tag mm-hmm. that in a spot that I could mule deer hunt. Yeah. So I was like, I want to. I'd really actually like this year to like get elk season over with, and it was the longest year of my life. <laughs> but um, maybe some. Yeah, and it's never going to work how you plan it. But yeah. I, I really was like, kind of went into this season being like, I'm going to be happy with kind of any bull. Cause I'd like to actually do a little bit of this mule deer hunting business. I grew up with the damn things in my yard. So I was like, nothing yeah. really drew me there. But, and then Mark had a sheep tag. I really wanted to hunt for some people. I actually wanted to like film a little. I wanted to spend some time behind a camera. Um, and yeah, it didn't work out. Like it was a complete opposite. Well, I actually kind of wanted to make it to October cause it had some spots like I'd been scouting for October thinking that same thing of like, okay, I want to, I wasn't, willing to commit and say like okay i'm gonna make montana my october archery tag mm-hmm. but i was like i wouldn't mind if i made it to october but then i didn't <laughs> yeah well that's cool though i mean yeah it happens and, and i would have never passed up a like a good experience no like for it, sure i had some crazy cool experiences too like i was actually going through my notes the other day because now i got to this point where like i'll go hunt and I'll come back and get in my bivy for a midday nap or whatever. And I'll just scratch out, you know, a thousand words, like what Dude, happened that's today. so smart. And I, I really enjoy writing, which is odd because I grown up, I was, and eh. am an idiot when it comes <laughs> to like the English language, but like, I actually write really well. So I'll write. And then I start like last week I went through it and I was like, Oh, I forgot about that. And like, I forgot about that. And like this, I wrote about this bull that I called, I named him Gable because I'd see him and he was he's a stud. I would have shot him in a heartbeat. And I actually had a 16 yard shot full frontal at him and I pass it up, mm. but he'd always be by himself. And like other cows would come in close and be like middle of September. And he, he wouldn't do anything. So I, I was like, that bull is gay. He is the gay bull. <laughs> Gable. <laughs> Gable. So, you mm. know, but it was nice to like, now I'm starting to like write a whole bunch. I actually yeah. like want to like compile it and put it somewhere. But dude, that's so smart. I think a hunting journal, not only like effective for like, Oh, here's what I effed up, but it, man, keeping your memories or like, just for me now, it's at the point where I'm like, kind of remember stuff, but then like, I don't remember what year it was. Yeah. <laughs> like, you look back, you're like, what year was that? I don't you know. They kind of all run together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get, think if you had a journal, it would yeah, I get like real, th- not the ad, I don't know the right word, but like, I like write it out to like make a picture. And, and ride it like riding in. And like, I remember writing, it's like a very drastic morning with the mist and everything that was going God, on. Like, so romantic. Bro. Dude, I try. And it's like, it actually shocks me. Cause then my <laughs> wife reads it. She's like, you're really good. Like if you would take this to my high school, they'd be like, no, you did not write this, <laughs> you know? But, uh, <laughs> That's funny. no, it's so doing that. It's, it's become fun. And then I actually can like look back and we tend to just remember like the real big highlights or the mm-hmm. real big downfalls. Well, there's so many like, 80% highlights or 70% highlights sure. that you don't remember, you know, that like I'll read through like, dude, that was amazing. That was awesome. I'd love to like relive that right now. Yeah. So I started doing that a couple of years, the year I shot that huge bull. Um, I started doing it before I killed him and it's, it's been really cool. I'd like to like compile it and just, I don't know. Well, you remember like that book Mark made with all the pictures and stuff. Yeah. He kind of inspired me to do that. Cause yeah, 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 yeah. me as a young guy, I love like I value being able to like go through other people's memories like that. Yeah. Like how, like that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Imagine when your kids are old enough to like read through those. Too. I don't think my kids are going to give a damn, but, <laughs> but yeah, like someday they and they might, but like hearing 
some older people that have done experienced a ton of cool stuff. Oh yeah. I get a ton of value out of that. So well, like some of Mark's stories. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like K2. This is what happened. Yeah. Like Kilimanjaro. Like, yeah, this went on this goat hunt. Like that's crazy valuable to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love hearing that. For sure. For I sure. got a video of him telling a story. We we're packing his mule deer out this year. He was scuba diving somewhere in the ocean and had a, a, a turtle come up close to his wife, like get in her face. And she like started freaking out. And it's just like hilarious. But like <laughs> so many cool things we could put down that, that I, I mean, I run hundred percent all day long, so I don't yeah. ever think about those and I weed them out, yeah. you know? So putting them down somewhere, makes it really fun to look back on. We need to get Mark back on the podcast. Yeah. Especially after this year with his sheep hunt. Yeah. Because the amount of elk, I mean, I made him email me a clip from that unit in eastern montana where it was it would have been the most insane bugle fest that i had ever seen it was the most insane bugle fest he'd ever seen really and while sheep hunting while sheep hunting wow. and he, he said it, it felt like pretty like weird to be like try to be walking away from that <laughs> <laughs> because he knew there was some sheep over here what everybody's like yeah. dude there's legit 370 bulls just screaming oh god yeah, let's get Mark in the in studio and do a podcast. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, any closing words of wisdom for elk hunters? Just, just work, try harder. Work harder, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, grizzly bears are scary, but they're also really cool. You had one go through. Was it this year one went through camp? Three. Yeah. <laughs> it was like right next to your tent. You're like, oh, because of the snow. And yeah. you're like, I wonder how many times this happened without snow. Well, yeah, <laughs> and I'd been in this spot a couple times and uh, – by myself and i i didn't have a very good feeling about going in this one particular time so I actually my buddy joe had been bugging me to come with and mm -hmm. and i was like oh it wasn't quite it was the end of september i was like well why don't you come into this spot and we'll see if we can call in some elk for you well yeah we had three different bears three nights in a row come through camp like but walk between our tents and then one went through my electric fence for my horses um saw many others but i mean i and you didn't hear him no, I sleep like a baby in the back country. I don't, I don't, I have like sleep apnea at home, but in the back country I'm out. And Joe was like, dude, your horses are freaking out last night. And luckily I had tied them both the trees because there was a breeding pair of moose. Mm. Like a hundred yards over here was the bull and 50 yards over here was a cow with a calf on the other side of camp. And my little electric fence for my horses was right in the <laughs> middle. And this bull would just be doing his thing and he'd be trying to walk up to my, I, Unfortunately, my mare was in heat. Oh boy! Yeah. So at first, I'm riding in. I'm like, this is gonna be sweet. Bulls are gonna be coming right into camp. Boy, a <laughs> bull moose. <laughs> well, so I tied them both up to trees that night because I didn't want there to wake up and then walk out. Yeah, we, me and James actually had that the year before. Oh really? Where horses were ready to freaking leave the country because of moose. But so tied them up wake up joe's like dude your horses are freaking out i said well that was weird unzip my tent and there's a grizzly bear track it's like the first thing i see when i unzip my tent huh and i was like shoot well i guess i know why you know um so we actually went out and hunted that morning and while up on the mountain looking down on camp there was a sow with two cubs and the cubs just like were doing circles around my our tents and really you know, yeah and the, the Did sow mess with anything mm -mm. do you He's, keep your tent in the fence or no uh, sometimes when I'm smart laying it out, most times I'm an idiot. Um, but the, the sow walked like 20 yards from the tent, but the two cubs just be bopped all around, God. went through it. And then the third night we were in there, I, 
um, had both horses tied up, went to put them in the electric fence when we woke up in the morning and took the holters off. They go out there and I see the corner of the fence is down. I'm like, oh shit. So I run over there, string the fence back up and there's like, you can see there was frost that night and you can tell where things like walk through brush and willow, like it knocks the frost off. So I like backtracked. I was like, oh dang, moose walked through here. Well, I get to a, a piece of mud and there is a giant bear track. Really? And this is like 15 yards from my tent. <laughs> so, and then it's like, yeah, we always sit up and you can see them everywhere. Like there's a ton of grizzly bears around here. You know, but it's cool. There's more than people think. Oh, yeah. Well, that opening weekend when I was looking at that big bull with 70 cows this weekend, I was on a knife ridge looking into two different basins, and there was grizzly bears in both of them. And um, some of them, they're actually on my Instagram because they're really cool color phases. They're bright blonde and, like, dark black humps. And I actually sent that to Mark, and Mark had been in this spot a couple of years ago, watched mountain goats chasing, or grizzly bears chasing mountain goats. And he's yeah. like, dude, that is the same set of grizzly bears, I'll bet you, that was chasing those goats a couple of years ago. So. That's like, crazy. Yeah, and he, I mean, I think it's cool. At first, you know, when I was 20, it wasn't as fun because you wouldn't sleep. Yeah. But, I remember the first time I hunted in grizzly country, I was pretty petrified. Well, first time I was in Alaska, but then first time in Montana. It's like, okay, a little less concerned. And now I feel like I'm getting complacent with it. I, yeah, I don't want to make myself stress out about it. I don't, but you feel also like, don't want to be complacent. Right. right. Yeah. I don't want to be complacent. Like I still, I still pack gun and a spray. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had any bad experiences and I've been within 50, 40 yards of them every single year. Um, but I think around here, most, bears get peopled enough that they know not to and yeah, yeah every year somebody tangles with one or <laughs> i mean or uh, seven yeah i mean this year it was insane but um i think you need to be conscious of it but you don't need to be afraid of it yeah you know i it, it's cool to I see mean, statistically it's still a pretty low percentage of you getting mauled yeah and i <laughs> walk into camp at every night in the dark like i'm hey bear hey bear like i don't yeah take it for granted i mean i got a wife and two kids and a business like <laughs> if it's me or a bear it's definitely going to be the bear but i don't yeah. want to even get there yeah but don't let that scare you because i know grown men my dad who's a mountain man badass like this year he's like i don't know how you do it by yourself I'm like that you always did it by yourself well he's like yeah but not in freaking grizzly bear country i would never do that <laughs> I'm like what i was like you just went from here to here like on my level i was like you <laughs> You know, but uh, it's, you, you also end up seeing cooler stuff, seeing, right. having better experiences in those areas. I kind of like it though. I kind of like that fear. It makes you feel alive. Like it makes For you sure. feel something, you know, I, you're definitely not a top predator. No, no. And it's I, funny when you go on a, say you go mule deer hunting over East or something, you're like, it's weird to be somewhere where you're not looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of yeah. like this weird, like, oh. There's legitimately nothing that can kill me. That's weird. It's nice after archery season when you're like burned out on the having to check your six all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, I, I remember specifically going home after Rosie and I got married and like laying in bed with her and I love my wife, but I so badly wanted to be in the mountains in my bivy scared out of my mind. Yeah. Oh yeah. I get it. And, and I don't get as like, I don't get nervous now unless there's like bears around, like mm. right around. And I've had them like where I've been awake still, but 
I mean, I still sleep with my gun. It's like, I know what I'm doing and I'm competent. Like, I'm not, I'm not so scared that I'm going to get petrified, but I, I'm, I'm, I'd be more scared of losing the experience that I was going to have if I left than if I stayed there and was just a little bit nervous about a bear. Do you think grizzly country even gets you out of the people though? I mean, I feel like it used to, but now it's no, not anymore. I think it gets you out of the people that are willing to like stay back there. You know, because I like to be mobile. If I'm solo hunting with my horses, like I I don't, don't get me wrong. I love wall tent camping, but I like throwing a bivy out that takes five minutes and then finding out having a mobile electric fence. And if they're not there, I move deeper, you know, Mm. but, um, it, I mean, I nine out of 10 guys, you'll ask me like, yeah, I just don't want to deal with the bears. And right. It seems like you hear that a lot, but then you also hear like how freaking crowded it is. Well, it's definitely, it's always crowded that first couple of miles. That's true. You know, but I, it, I've met some really cool people in the back country too, but like, Hey, I didn't know there's other people back here. And now, yeah. Hey, you're dumb well, like me. Yeah. I mean, for instance, the last time we shot at archery league, I'm like looking at this dude next to me and I'm like, Hey, were you up? So-and-so crick on closing weekend. He looks at me. He's like, no shit. <laughs> Cause like we ran into each other back there and I was like, Hey, like you're pretty far back. He's like, yeah, I, been staying back here for like four or five days like i thought you looked familiar that's funny you know so the people that you do run into in those situations usually, are usually i would say so yeah I look, and then you value people's company when you haven't seen anybody for five or <laughs> seven days you know so, humans yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude you got a snack <laughs> so oh it's awesome it's fun but i'd say just be willing to work be willing to stay out there work harder than you think Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again so much. Um, let's do it again. Let's do a podcast with Mark. And totally. Pour some whiskeys and have a good one. You bet. All right, buddy. Thanks. Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. Check it out. Link in the show notes.